While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. We don't really know where Dwight York came from. He was born sometime between 1935 and 1945, anywhere in the vicinity of Boston or New York. Maybe even in Ghana. He once said that he grew up in Massachusetts and had spent some time in Egypt with his grandfather. His grandfather, who was an imam or an Islamic religious leader, told the seven-year-old York that great things were in store for him. He had the light. He returned to the U.S. when he was 12 and lived very near where I grew up in New Jersey, where he continued to study Islam. When the 60s arrived, York changed his name a few times and formed a black nationalist group. I'm going to continue to call him York and the group York's Group simply because there are just too many name changes to keep track of. You could write a very, very large book tracking black nationalist groups in the 60s and 70s and their connections to ancient Hebrews, Christianity, and Islam. I'll try not to get too far into the weeds here. York spent three years in prison for assault and possession of a weapon, and also had served some time for statutory rape. Malcolm X was killed while York was locked up, and Martin Luther King died the year he was released. Black nationalist groups were pretty much everywhere, especially in New York. He joined the Nation of Islam, but began plans for his own group, a group that began meeting in Brooklyn starting in 1972. York's ideas spread and flourished. The group owned over 20 apartment buildings where men and women slept separately. They owned bookshops, groceries, and clothing stores. Donations rolled in as the followers labored without pay. Those donations, of course, went to Dwight York. He started a record label and recorded a few songs. If you ever want to hear them, they're on YouTube and Apple Music. It's slow 80s R&B, most definitely not my cup of tea. As the group and the leader changed names throughout the 70s and 80s, York began to focus on Egyptian or Sudanese imagery. Wherever he was, you'd see lots of onks, six-pointed stars, and Islamic crescents. Just a side note, it's hard to track down and confirm most of this information. There were plenty of books about York and his people, but they were published by themselves, and I haven't found a library yet that actually has them. A lot of what you're hearing, except of course this Dwight York slow jam, is from secondary sources and interviews. If you really want to hear someone get into it with an opinion that is probably a little bit biased, find a book called Kooks by Donna Kasi. But if you've ever spoken to a member of the Nation of Islam or actually read the pamphlets they hand out in train stations, you can pretty much figure out what this guy was preaching. In 1988, he was arrested again, this time for using a fake birth certificate to apply for a passport. As the 90s began, traditional Islamic leaders were starting to speak out against Dwight York, and the police began looking into the group as accusations of arson, fraud, and child abuse began to circulate. The solution was to leave. 
1993, York bought 476 acres of land in Georgia, kind of near Macon, and announced to his followers that they were leaving to start their own nation. Eatonton in Putnam County would be their new home. It was named Tom Array, and they confused the heck out of the residents. York was changing his personas frequently, and he dragged the group with him. They were Native Americans for a while, and then they were Egyptian, and then they were ambassadors from a far-off planet. In their compound, a sculpture of Jesus hung on an ankh and wore a Cherokee war bonnet. Masonic and Egyptian symbols decorated the walls. There was one large black pyramid about 40 feet tall and a smaller one that housed a bookstore. The people had trailers for homes, York had a house with a recording studio, and the group even developed their own manner of speaking. Television was pronounced tell-lie-vision. Average people may understand things in the world, but members of the group overstood them. Everyone who lived there assumed they were inhabiting their own sovereign nation. Visitors needed to buy a visa to enter, and the compound produced its own passports and license plates. The entrance was protected by armed guards. And things continued to spread. The group had bookstores in New York and throughout Georgia, even in other countries. York tried to fit into the Atlanta music scene and invited politicians to come visit the compound. On his birthday, which was one of the very few times that the compound was open to the public, up to 5,000 people would come by to see the community. Now, of course, through all of that, everyone who heard about the group or visited had also heard about Jim Jones, Heaven's Gate, Waco, you know what I mean. Have you ever seen the videos of sovereign citizens being pulled over for minor traffic violations? Often they stay in their car with the windows up, refusing to identify themselves or to even speak to the police officers. That's what happened with the Nuwabians. Well, by 1996, they've pretty much done changing their names for a while, and so we can settle on Nuwabians. People were driving around without driver's licenses and without license plates. York was demanding that he wanted the compound rezoned. Rumor had it that he wanted to build a casino. He built a social club for the community and began advertising it, but when the sheriff stopped by to have a look, he quickly locked up the property. No permits had been issued and the structure wasn't up to code. The Nuwabians struck back handing out pamphlets, slandering the local government employees, harassing police, and supposedly there were even a few death threats. Of course, lawsuits were filed. In an article from a magazine called Oxford America, where I'm getting a lot of this information, the sheriff says he believed the Nuwabians were deliberately provoking the mayor and police into responding violently to their provocations. Offers of support came from some white nationalist sovereign citizen groups, and even Wesley Snipes looked into buying property nearby. However, if you weren't the target of their phone calls or lawsuits, the whole thing looked like a group of religious people who had bought property to quietly practice their religious beliefs. 
And yeah, they might be a little weird, but why couldn't the people of the town just leave them alone? Well, one of the reasons came from reports that teenage girls were being brought into medical centers to give birth, after which they and the baby would disappear. York's son, who had left the group, spoke to police and confirmed that his father had been molesting young girls in the compound and had been doing it for a while. The FBI was brought in and it became apparent from interviewing former Nuwabians that York was in complete control of the group and had been taking advantage of the young women. In May of 2002, one of Young's wives left the compound to shop in town and was arrested by the FBI. When the group heard this, they cut the telephone wires and the power wires and locked all the doors. The county police and FBI drove up and just drove through the gate. Not a shot was fired. Inside was a surprisingly small group of about a hundred people, most of whom were children. York was arrested and his trial would last about two years as he alternately claimed that he was an African diplomat, a Native American. At one point, he declared that his name had been trademarked and anyone who spoke it would have to pay royalties. Racketeering, transporting minors across state lines for sexual purposes, it added up to 135 years in prison and seizure of the Nuwabian compound. York's mansion in Athens was sold, and so was the compound's property. The group, which apparently included anywhere between 80 and 120 of York's children, began to disperse among the communities of Georgia. As we wrap up, I just want to remind you that Moving Through Georgia is a Georgia history podcast. We try to focus on Northeast Georgia, but occasionally spread out on interesting topics like this. If you have any questions, comments, or complaints, you can reach me at movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear, consider leaving us five stars on whatever app you listen on. It really does help get the word out. There are still some all-eyes-on-Egypt cultural centers in this state. There's one in uh, Stone Mountain, and there's another one that hosts a podcast called Georgia Gossip, which is an experience. Some followers of the group still practice what they believe, and a lot of them seem to believe that Dwight York escaped the FBI raid and really wasn't arrested. Over the years, some followers have run against the law, mostly for real estate fraud, and at least two former residents of Tomaray have been arrested for murder. The buildings have been bulldozed, and the group's leader is incarcerated at the Supermax prison in Florence, Colorado. If you are curious, you can find pictures of Tomaray online and in books like Weird Georgia. Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The yellow man left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right, left walk on your heel and toe. From an Edep pretty gal to Georgia. That's all.